In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. I know this is a little bit of a different sort of hafis of the nativity because of the pandemic and everything like that, but it's still important for us to highlight why the incarnation itself is such an important event in the history of mankind. Many times we sort of fall prey into the incorrect thinking that salvation is something that is achieved only for us on the cross. There was only this one-time event when Christ was crucified, that this is our salvation. This is not actually Orthodox theology. That's sort of an influence from Western Christianity. As Orthodox Christians, we believe that all the works of Christ as a man were part of the story of salvation. In the West, they may look at the incarnation as like a preliminary step towards the main event of Christ's death on the cross. But for us in Orthodoxy, the incarnation is just as significant for our salvation. Just as significant even as dying on the cross, as well as even His resurrection on the third day. We're saved by the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, not just one thing that He did on the cross. In baptism, for example, we are united to Christ's death and resurrection. And we receive the Holy Spirit and are incorporated into the body of the church. And we stop being sort of autonomous people and now we live in the context of the liturgical and the sacramental life of the church. And in the course of like the liturgical cycle of the church, we participate in the mysteries of Christ's incarnation. His nativity, his presentation in the temple, his baptism in the river Jordan, his transfiguration, his entry into Jerusalem, his death on the cross, yes, his resurrection and his ascension. In the incarnation, the eternal, the person who is eternal, entered into history. Through the church's liturgical life, we participate in the various aspects of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ like his baptism in the river Jordan or his transfiguration, as if we were actually there. Like for example, the Orthodox Holy Week services, they're not just like Sunday school lessons. They're not these services that we just learn about what did Christ do in the last week on his, uh, his, his last week on earth. In these services we participate in Christ's last week on earth. This is possible because of the incarnation. We're no longer separated from Christ even by 2,000 years of time, because we are the body of Christ, we are the church. When we were about to say the Nicene Creed right after the sermon, or after the litanies, in the creed it says, for us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven and was an incarnate of the Holy Spirit and of the Virgin Mary and was made man. The creed then talks about Christ's suffering, His death on the cross, His resurrection on the third day his ascension into heaven, and his future return to earth to judge the living and the dead. Our salvation stems from a whole series of things that our Lord Jesus Christ did as both God and man. Even in the liturgical hymns and prayers of the church, we learn about the significance of the incarnation. One of the, the, the main frequent themes of the hymns of the church in the incarnation is sort of the paradox of the incarnation. How somebody or someone who is infinite, how God who is infinite became a finite human being. Or how the unapproachable judge approaches sinful humanity in humble mercy. Even actually the gospel response that we prayed after Matin says 
The one without flesh became flesh, and the Logos became incarnate. The one without beginning was born. The one outside of time became subject to time. The incarnation, by the way, is a unique doctrine of Christianity. The idea of God involving Himself in the affairs of men by coming down to earth is actually not an uncommon theme. You know, you can see a lot in like Greek and Roman mythology, the ideas of the gods coming down for a specific purpose, pretending to be human in order to do something. But in those examples, they were just looking like humans in order to achieve certain goals. The doctrine of incarnation is really a unique aspect of Christianity. That's really the point of, of difference for those who, re, who, who sort of reject the Christian faith. The doctrine of incarnation is also one that is vital because other biblical doctrines stand or fall based on it. Wherever we stand or where we believe in the doctrine of the incarnation defines sort of the dividing line between orthodoxy and heresy, between true Christianity and between cults. This is the real stumbling block of Christianity. Here, people that are Jewish, people that are Muslim, people that are Jehovah's Witness, many who feel difficulties about parts of the incarnation, about the virgin birth, about miracles, about atonement, about the resurrection. And this is where they part. So the uniqueness of the Christian faith is directly related to the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the, the doctrine of the incarnation is a unique feature within Christianity in our faith in God. Christianity could share a lot of things with other religions. A belief in the infinite, a belief in a God that's sort of transcendent, someone who is the source of the world's being and all of its values. But the Christian doctrine of incarnation expresses a specific conviction of Christians that God has made Himself known to all of us. Specifically, and personally, by taking our human nature to Himself, by coming among us as a particular person, and without any way ceasing to be eternal and being the infinite God. What does the Incarnation teach us? The Incarnation teaches us, or affirms to us, the goodness of physical existence. And it's common sometimes for us to believe that physical matter is somehow inferior to spirit to the spiritual world. And this leads many of us sometimes as Christians to devalue our bodies, to neglect the responsibilities of earthly existence. The fact that God, who is all holy, was willing to unite with a physical body in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, affirms that God approves of physical matter and earthly existence. He came not to eradicate the world, but to redeem it, to make it new. Another thing is, our Lord Jesus Christ in His incarnation reveals God to man. In the past, God revealed Himself through His works that are recorded in Scripture, through His words, through the world itself. But in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, God revealed Himself in a person. St. Paul says in Hebrews, God who at various times in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. In the Gospel actually that we read, when we pray Vespers uh, for the Feast of the Nativity, 
We read from the Gospel of St. John that says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. St. John also says in his Gospel, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has revealed Him to us. That's why our Lord Jesus Christ, He says to Himself, He who has seen Me has seen the Father. He who has seen Me has seen the Father. Not only does our Lord Jesus Christ reveal the Father to men, He also reveals men for what they are in God's eyes. The Gospel of St. John says again, In Him was life, and the life was light of men, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That is the true light, which is coming into the world to enlighten every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Besides the fact that the incarnation reveals God to us, the incarnation teaches us about God, that God is willing to get involved in our lives. When things go wrong, usually there is never a shortage of people willing to voice criticisms and complaints. But there are a few people who are willing to stand up to get their hands dirty to fix a problem, to try to bring a solution. The incarnation means that God, the God of Scripture, is not a faraway God who doesn't care about the problems of mankind. He's willing to get involved. He's willing to get His hands dirty. He humbled Himself. He lowered Himself. Entered into the broken world. Endured pain and grief and suffering walking on the earth, accomplishing the full restoration and healing of mankind out of his love for man. If you would want to contemplate on the love of God for fallen man, then we need to contemplate on the miracle of the incarnation. Sometimes it's the cross or the resurrection that we turn our attention to when we want to see the love of God. We look at the cross and see see how much God loved us that He died on the cross for us. But the manger, the cradle, was the first step to the cross. And by this manger, we should be able to seek to meditate on the willingness and the ability of God to save man from their sins. And this actually teaches us something else. If God is willing to come in a specific and special way to solve the problems of humankind, He is willing to come into my life personally to solve the problems that I am overcome or want to overcome. The incarnation also makes it possible for our sins to be covered. There's a passage in Leviticus that tells us it is by blood that makes atonement by the life. So there's atonement only through blood. In order for our sins to be covered, blood must be shed. But if God is invisible spirit, how can He shed blood? If He can't shed blood, how can there be atonement? The incarnation is the answer. Our Lord Jesus Christ had to be made like us, fully human in every way, so that He could become a merciful and faithful high priest, like St. Paul says, in service to God, and He could make atonement for our sins. Nothing is more clearly documented in the Scriptures then the fact or the principle of the incarnation was to save man from sins. Our Lord Jesus Christ Himself, He said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And St. Paul says in Galatians, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, 
born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So there is an inseparable relationship between the incarnation of Christ and his work on the cross and his resurrection. In our church, for example, we observe Holy Communion weekly in the Eucharist. And here in the Holy Communion, we are reminded that our salvation is obtained through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ on the cross in Golgotha. What elements do we use to change into the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ? The bread and the wine. Both of these elements are evidence of the necessity of the incarnation. The bread is the body, the human body of our Lord, which was given for man's salvation. The cup is the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. Blood could not have been shed apart from a human body. So then, atonement, which our Lord Jesus Christ accomplished for us, is dependent on the incarnation. In Hebrew, St. Paul reminds us, apart from the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And then apart from a human body, there is no shedding of blood. So the underlying principle here is the relationship between God and man, between the divine and human. One of the biggest problems for a Christian is to understand how can God dwell in and manifest Himself in a human being. To deny that the divine and the human can be joined together in any practical or personal way is actually to deny the essence of our salvation and our sanctification. Because our salvation is when we become, when we become one with God and He becomes one with us. To live a spiritual life is to be joined with Him in whatever we do. So as Christians we are encouraged to exert ourselves because God has enabled us to unite with Him through His incarnation. The incarnation also reminds us how bad our condition was or is apart from divine intervention. If we can know for sure that the incarnation itself is a huge condensation on the part of our Lord Jesus Christ, humiliation in becoming man, humiliation in His death, the fact that God was willing to stoop down to identify with man is evidence of like the, the utter fallenness of mankind. God would never have considered the incarnation unless there was no other possible means by which man could save himself. So the incarnation implies that there is no way for us as humans that we could have done anything on our own. We could not, nor would we ever have chosen to save ourselves. So because the cure, which is the incarnation and the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ, is such drastic measures, we can consider that the ailment, the sickness of mankind was severe. No one would ever think or allow a doctor to remove a limb for an infection that could be treated by antibiotics. But if the ailment was like a cancer that would kill the patient, then a limb is gladly sacrificed in order to preserve a life. No cure is more drastic than the incarnation and the cross. And man, man's problem of sin was a fatal problem. And it was solved for us beginning in the incarnation. So we have many reasons why 
we rejoice in the incarnation today. Why the incarnation is a significant feast in the church and a significant moment in the history of mankind and in our individual lives. We praise God and we give thanks to Him for He loved us so much that He got into the world, became man for our salvation and salvation all around us. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Amen.